following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. And for, you know, a company that's almost 100 years old that's been growing steadily, to have two crazy Americans show up and say, hey, double your capacity and make new lines and new products, it was just a massive ask. So we started having conversations about what to do. Should Harry's invest to you know, own its own production line within the larger factory? And then it kind of became clear to us that to truly control our own destiny um, and to deliver customers what we believe they would want and need, we should just own the whole factory. And that was going to cost $100 million. Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, we do in-depth interviews with some of today's most significant business leaders. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. We have a great guest today. We have Jeff Rader, the co-founder and co-CEO of Harry's, which is the cool, new, hot shave company out to disrupt all the big boys, including Gillette. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. Pumped to be here. By the way, your skin looks really smooth. You have a beautiful <laughs> shave today. Thanks. Every day. Did you go to the barbershop today beforehand and get the, the straight razor? <laughs> we do have a barbershop. I just use the uh, our, our regular products. So let's fill, fill me in here because this is great. I met you and your co-founder, Andy, right in the beginning. Yep. You were in the old Warby Parker offices. Jeff, I have to add, is one of the co-founders of Warby Parker as well. And it was just you two and a random sink was in the corner. Yep. Um, fast forward today, you own a massive factory in Germany. You're in Target right now. Every store in Target. I think we wrote a story and it was 1.4 miles of Harry's razors and blades and, and cream across the country. Yep. So that's a big intro. But anyway, what is going on with Harry's? Take me to the state of shaving here. Yeah. So, I mean, just to back up, as Steve mentioned, Harry's is about four years old. Um, the fundamental idea that we had was that we could make shaving and grooming more broadly better for guys, that the process of getting razors wasn't great. Um, you had to sort of wait for someone to unlock a case where they were being held. The brands didn't resonate, at least with us as consumers. They were sort of modeled after this perfect ideal of who a guy should be, and we just kind of wanted to be us. And we felt like we could offer better value and do it in a very different way. Mm -hmm. The actual way it started is my co-founder Andy walked into a drugstore one day waited for 10 minutes for someone to unlock the case where the razors were being held, paid $25 for four blades and some shave cream. I was like, this doesn't feel great. Just looking at this package, there's a picture of a razor flying over the moon. He's like, I just don't understand why this <laughs> is the way it is. And I had started Warby Parker before Harry's. He called me and said, hey, do you think we can do it better here? I completely sort of understood his experience, and I wanted to do something better. I felt like we could do something better for guys everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, we've built the business over the last four years focusing on trying to make really high-quality products first. We bought this factory in Germany. We have 500 people there now, mm -hmm. and they've you know, been around for almost 100 years making some of the best blades in the world. And we're in investing a lot of money to continue to innovate to make our blades even better. Um, and then I've invested in sort of trying to get people the products that they want and how they want them. So we started online, uh, and uh, we felt like we could create great experience for people selling direct because we could own every touch point, use data on who people are to mm -hmm. kind of customize their purchase experiences for them, and and 
and reach out to people proactively. We've had over a million customer service conversations at Harry's, many of which we've initiated um, to try to make sure that we're just doing a good job for people. And then what we learned over time as we talked to all these people is that they also like to buy our products in store or mm-hmm. would have liked to buy our products in store. We started with a partnership with J. Crew, um, and, and now sell at a bunch of boutiques and at J. Crew and some hotels. How did J. Crew start out? Um, J. Crew started out because I had a relationship with Mickey Drexler. He's on our board at Warby Park. I mean, who doesn't, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he's awesome. Um, and I went to talk to him about Harry's before we launched Harry's. Actually, I want to give him the heads up. Mm-hmm. And before I knew it, we had a focus group in J. Crew's office of like 50 people who were opining on shaving and design and our brand and our products. It was, it was an amazing experience. Um, and afterwards, I got a call from Mickey and then the team at J. Crew saying, hey, you know, we'd actually love to have you in our stores. And that was super exciting for me. And so uh, for Father's Day in the first year, we mm-hmm. launched a limited run of Harry's sets at J. Crew. We made 1,000, and we sold them only at a few of the the sort of stores that we collectively thought would be most appropriate. Like their select ones, like their, their like kind the of liquor store City, and yeah. Ludlow store, their mm-hmm. men's shop. And we sold out. Um, and so we were super excited that felt like people wanted to experience our brand there. And that gave us faith and confidence to start to do more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said you, I mean, a thousand sets is not a lot in the long run, nope. but what was the, what were you looking to get out of that? Was it, was it an experiment? Was it getting in front of the right people in terms of if you're at this, you know, the, like the flagship kind of men's store in Manhattan? Yeah, I think for us it was a broader experiment around do people actually want to buy Harry's, experience our brand in a retail format? Uh, and what we learned there was yes. And as we talked to guys more and more and more, we asked how we could do better. A lot of them said, hey, you know, I, I love Harry's, but um, I'm, I buy razors normally on my Sunday shopping trip at Target. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be amazing if you guys were there. And I think we always thought that, you know, we were a brand first and a brand that should do what's best for customers always. And as we heard that more and more, we said, you know, we should probably respond to customers' needs. And so um, started to develop a relationship with Target uh, and launched there last year. And and that's been amazing for us, Um, I think in part because we just followed what we knew customers wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've seen, we've been blown away by what's happened there. And um, continue to help us just grow the business and and have more positive impact, we think, on guys everywhere. Speaking of retail, why are razors locked up? I mean, when you go to a drugstore, the only things locked up are razors, painkillers, and then the allergy medicine that people use to make meth. <laughs> what is the reason? Is it people steal it like crazy? Or? Yeah, they're really highly shoplifted. And one of the reasons they're so highly shoplifted is that they're so expensive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I don't think 20 years ago or 30 years ago, razors were locked up the way they are today. But as you know, the big guys have continued to just increase prices over and over and over. The products have got so expensive that all of a sudden there's a real incentive for people to shoplift them, and so they do, um, which then creates a bad customer experience and having to lock them up. Hmm. Um, I'm going to go back a little bit to when you guys first started Harry's because, yeah. I mean, shaving is one of those, you know, it's one of those industries where there is a dominant, almost a yep. monopoly. Yep. Um, and with one an iconic brand like Gillette, the, I mean, you you can't you couldn't turn on a a sports game from I'm growing up from like 1980 to yeah. now where they're not on every single break, and it's just it's a name. It's it's Coca Cola. Yep. And here you are, you know, you and Andy are in a little loft space in Soho or Tribeca, and you're like, okay, let's take on a giant. Yeah. Take me through, like, what do you do? Like, what's what's our one of this new company? What do you what do you do? Yeah, I mean, I think that's all right. And people thought we were crazy for doing that. To be clear, um, and I think what we believed was that the giant Gillette, in particular, 
just had stopped really caring about customers. They had created products that they continued to try to add new bells and whistles to so they could charge more money for them, Mm -hmm. make a brand that made guys feel like they had to be perfect in a way that they didn't really want to be, create a shopping experience and store that was suboptimal. And we just didn't feel like Gillette met our needs as customers. And moreover, I think we felt like they, in some ways, were taking advantage of us for business purposes. That just didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Every time you had to you know, pay $32 for an eight-pack of razor blades, you're sitting there like, why am I doing this? This is crazy. There's no way these cost anywhere close to that to make. And I've got a picture of a blade flying over the moon on my package. Like, what is that about? And so, because you're going to go to space, that's the next. You know, obviously, yeah. Because you can shave, shave. Shaving in right. space is one of the. the well, one first, my jawline is going to be made perfect when I shave, and then I'm going to get a six pack, and then I'm going to fly to outer space. I mean, it's just insane. And so, we believed like that we could do something that was better for consumers. It wasn't about taking on a huge company. It was about fixing a fundamental pain point that we felt, and that we believe lots of other guys felt. Mm-hmm. And we also felt like you know if you looked at the shaving industry for a long time, there wasn't really much choice. There's a couple brands they dominated. Um, they owned the entire retail shelf. And so what we sort of felt like was that guys were growing up wanting to make more thoughtful decisions about all the products they own in their life, but they didn't really have a choice here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we felt like Harry's could be a new choice, a brand that hopefully delivered them amazing products at great value in whatever way they wanted to buy them. You can buy them online and subscribe. You can buy them online regularly. You can buy them in store now um, and give them a product that we hope they like from a sort of design perspective um, and be a brand that's just there for them, that Mm -hmm. wants to have real honest conversations about what it's like to be a guy and how to take care of yourself. And and we felt like that was something that we wanted and, and we found that that lots of guys have felt the same way. And how did you kind of decide on what that brand would look like in your voice? Because I'm just thinking now when we're talking about this, yeah. I mean, it's it's <laughs> through tradition, like razors, like Gillette has had a very important like part in everyone's life. Like you're a teenager yep. or in my case, you're like 20 and you're finally, yep. you're finally shaving. Yep. And, you know, it's like this kind of like welcome to manhood and maybe it's yeah. like your dad or someone like important male in your life is teaching you how to do this. And this yeah. has been in your, like maybe it's a birthday present. Like I got a Gillette and you saw your, like, you know, yeah. people doing it, your parents doing it. Like it's a, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's sticky. It's a hook. Yeah. And how, when you say, okay, we're going to want to break this tradition it's almost religious in a weird way. How did you kind of decide what that Harry's brand would look and feel and yeah. not the, you know, not the, uh, you know, Federa perfect male, like shaving with high tech. Let's start first with shaving as a set of behaviors and how guys feel about it. And then we can talk about the brand. Yeah. So from a set of behaviors, first, most guys have no idea how to shave. I had no idea how to shave before we started Harry's. Oftentimes dads don't actually teach their sons how to shave. Sons shave by or guys shave by watching another seminal male figure in their life shave mm-hmm. and then try to emulate what they're doing, which is a really interesting insight that we sort of had early. And it's this experience that that's fraught with concern. Like you're taking a knife to your face yeah. every day. You could cut yourself. The faces that guys make when they actually shave are very different than the ones that you see in ads. It's not like you're looking off into the distance perfectly while you're shaving. Guys are <laughs> contorting their face, trying to get the like the cleanest spot to shave on. And, and they're sort of thinking like, just, I hope I don't hurt myself here. Yeah. And what we learned about how to shave um, is that 
actually have to, everyone's facial hair grows in differently. And the most important thing that you have to know about how to shave is that you have to understand which way your grain grows and it can grow up and down and to the side and then follow the grain everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that is not something that lots of guys do. And so as a result, they were sort of suboptimizing the experience and it was this experience that was fraught with anxiety. And just a quick break to say this show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. How did you guys get smart on, on shaving? Is there like a... Barbers. You went and just interviewed barbers? We went and got shaves with barbers. And we started asking, hey, how are you shaving my face? Why do I have you know bumps here? Why is my Gillette razor giving me irritation? How do mm. I think about this? And they started asking me how I shaved, and then I like how you threw. It, I like how you threw in the, like, why is my Gillette razor giving me irritation? Well, that yeah, that's good. what I was yeah. using at the time. <laughs> um, and we actually built a barbershop for that reason because we wanted to be an authority for guys on how best to do this. And we felt like in order to do that, we had to have the authority, which are barbers um, who are really knowledgeable about how to take care of. You. So always go with the grain. With the grain, can you go sideways? No, if you go across the grain, you create a lot of friction. With the grain first, if you want to get closer, you, have, you can go directly against the grain, but only after you go with the grain. That's gotcha. what we recommend. Hmm. So, um, so that was the first thing. So I think one of the reasons why people were scared to switch is because it was this experience that was really anxiety-inducing. And man, if they're going to try a new thing and it's not good, oh, oh boy, like that could really not be great for me. Um, and so what we had to do, I think, first from a brand perspective is ensure people that we made a really good product. And we spent the first six months after we had the idea for Harry's just trying everything we could in the market, literally A-B testing one razor on one side of our face, the other on the other, Mm -hmm. and seeing what happens. And we realized pretty quickly that there's a huge difference between a good product and a bad product. Um, And we almost didn't do Harry's because we weren't sure we could make a product we'd be proud to sell. And by the way, I know, I mean, you and Andy have had many careers before this. Were you doing, were you, I forget, were you moonlighting at this point? Yeah, moonlighting. So what were you doing at the time when you were- I was working in investing. So I'd started Warby Parker in business school. Mm -hmm. I'd worked in an investment fund. They'd paid for me to go to school. I was back there. Mm -hmm. But I was sort of having these ideas that I want to do something entrepreneurial and sort of that had mattered in the world to people. And I felt like this would matter to a lot of guys mm-hmm. if we could do it And was Andy investing as well? Was he a Bain then? I got Andy had graduated from business school and was living on the West Coast, kind of gotcha. hanging out, gotcha. um, thinking about what to do next. So, yeah, so we started trying all these products. Finally, we found these blades um, from Germany, um, and we tried them. Like, wow, these are really good. We would be proud to use these every day and proud to sell them. And that's why we ended up buying a razor blade factory in mm-hmm. Germany that could make those blades. So first is quality. You have to sort of convince somebody, first ourselves and then everyone in the world, that we could deliver them a really high-quality product. And we believe we have that. The second, then, is a brand that feels different to guys. And I think as we thought about the existing brands in shaving, they just felt a little bit cold to us, a little bit perfect. Mm-hmm. So if we thought about it, you know, the typical ad in shaving. It would be a guy with a perfect jawline and a six-pack shaving, staring off into the distance with a girl rubbing his face. Like You can sort of picture the, the ad. It's and like that, my it's like my morning every day. Exactly. Me, me too. And while that is my morning, maybe it's not every guy's morning. So we felt like we could just be a little bit warmer um, and more real with guys. And so we named the brand Harry's because we liked the idea of shaving being passed down from grandfathers to fathers and fathers to sons. Mm-hmm. And so um, we thought about the seminal sort of male figures in our lives. I had a grandfather figure named Harry, and mm-hmm. that's where that came from. Um, and we felt like it was just a warm brand. You could sort of sit down and have a man-to-man honest conversation. And to play on like a Harry Harry. Yeah, exactly. We, you know, we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> and talking about going against the grain, sorry, I had to put that in there. You, you went out and you, you raised a lot of capital to make a big purchase on a German 
blade, hundred year old German blade factory. And if I remember, this was the time when you know investors and the media were celebrating these asset light yep. behemoths, uh, Airbnb or yep. Uber, these you know incredible companies that had yep. no real capital you know outflow, so to yep. speak. Um, here you are, you know, a razor company yep. buying a hundred year old razor factory. Yep. Take me through that decision and also how the hell you convinced your VCs to back that. Yep. So we found this factory in Germany. They were literally the only ones in the world that could make blades that we'd want to use. And so um, we tried everything in the world and they were it. And so we developed a close relationship with them. And by, by the way, which, just, I, I, this is fascinating. When we yeah. did the story like. I think a lot of people, including myself, think, okay, razor is just a sharp piece of metal. Yeah. But it's actually really, and because we yeah. see it everywhere, we're, yeah. we take it, you know, take it's it for granted. It's an incredibly but highly specialized product. Why is it so hard? So there's a few reasons why making razor blades is so difficult and why there's a big difference in quality between good blades and, and bad blades. Um, the first is uh, you have to actually change the molecular composition of steel to be able to grind the right edge on it. And so you take this very fine steel and you run it through a line that heats it and cools it and heats it and cools it and heats and cools it to get to the right level of hardness before you can even grind it. And by doing that, you actually change it. So it goes from one form of steel to another form of steel. Then, and And that's all done. Is that like applying like extreme heat then applying Mm -hmm. almost? Extreme cooling. Yeah. What's extreme cooling? Is it like dry ice or even some? Liquid nitrogen. Liquid nitrogen, okay. So, um, yeah, so that's the first piece. Then once you get the right level of hardness of the steel, then you have to grind an edge on it and not only do it once, but do it millions or billions of times over again with zero deviation or very, very minimal deviation. You have to grind an edge on it such that it's very stable at its base and sharp at its tip, which provides both durability and sharpness in the blade. Um, and that process is incredibly complicated. The angles at which you grade, which at which you grind are all highly proprietary, mm-hmm. um, taken decades of trial and error and iteration and improvement to get to where we are today. God, how do we shave like 300 years ago or 200 years ago? I mean, uh, sh- modern shaving was really invented a hundred years ago. Um, and it was sort of the, the double edged blades to start that you put yeah. into the old safety razor. And then over time we, they created the shaving systems, etc. Um, but I mean, it was like a knife that a barber would take to your face. You go to the barber shop, uh, which is very different, you know, yeah. or you'd shave yourself with a knife, which is a very different than today a modern shaving. I mean, it must look cool, but it must be very dangerous. I've tried lots of different shaving products. I haven't never taken a knife to my face uh, straight. <laughs> so the, the process is really specialized. As a result, there's very few people in the world that know how to make a blade mm-hmm. that, that, that are really high quality. So we found this factory in Germany. We developed a relationship with them by which they would create custom products for Harry's. We launched Harry's with those products. And two things happened. One, we were blown away by the response to Harry's. Mm-hmm. Super excited that lots of guys, I think, felt the same way that Andy and I felt. Like, there should be a better alternative here and wanted to try Harry's. The second thing that we were excited about is that they were coming back. Um, that uh, the significant majority of people who were buying for the first time were coming back to reorder again. They liked the product. And so that led to two things. First, um, we uh, realized we were going to need more capacity. Mm-hmm. Like we were going to blow away our forecast. And so we went to Germany and said, remember we told you we needed X. Now we need like 5X. So let's start making more blades. And they just didn't have the capacity to serve us. The second thing is, as we started to talk to customers more and more while they really liked our product, we started to learn their opportunities to make it better. And we had a vision ourselves for how we'd want to improve the products. Mm-hmm. And so we said, guys, we're going to need to make a lot more of these and guess what else? We're going to want to try to invest significantly in innovation to make them better. And for you know a company that's almost 100 years old that's been growing steadily, 
to have two crazy Americans show up and say, hey, double your capacity and make new lines and new products. It was just a massive ass. How do you say that in German? I don't know. Um, did Andy learn a little German? Andy speaks. Andy now understands German, which is amazing. My language skills are, are much less advanced. So we started having conversations about what to do. Should Harry's invest to you know, own its own production line within the larger factory? And then it kind of became clear to us that to truly control our own destiny um, and to deliver customers what we believe they would want and need, we should just own the whole factory. Mm-hmm. And that was going to cost $100 million. And so we, um, we put together a, a case and said, hey, this is why this makes sense in this specific industry. And I wouldn't do this in a lot of other places. Razor blade manufacturing is so hard and so specialized and so important to the success of Harry's that it felt like a core capability that we had to own. So you're also owning not just the factory, but it sounds like some IP, and you basically bought 100 years Clearly. worth of uh, trial and error. Yeah, yeah the, and, and, and a team, right? I mean, the average person that has worked there has worked there for over 10 years. Wow. And so there's a ton of tradecraft and just sort of institutional knowledge there that would have been impossible for us to replicate. Was it owned by um, like a larger German company or was it owned by a family? Or? It was owned, It had been owned by a family. Um, the patriarch of the family had passed away and then they'd sold it to two uh, private equity funds. So okay. it was owned by financial investors. And we sort of knew that if it was owned by financial investors, it was just a matter of what price you wanted to pay mm-hmm. to own it ourselves. And so, and we paid a really generous price, but we did it in the context of it being so strategic for us as a business. And in terms of, you know, the making the blade itself is is really hard. In terms of making the the cartridge and all that, did you ha- was that someone within that company you bought that did that or did you bring in some like shave consultant that knows how to design these yep. these things? No, so we make the the cartridges also at the factory in Germany and the lubricating strips we sort of own the um, IP around that too. Okay. So the whole cartridge that you sort of stick into a handle, we make in Germany. The handles we designed ourselves mm-hmm. for Harry, so we didn't use any of the existing designs. We felt like there was opportunity to innovate both from a function and design perspective. And little lower risk. What's that? Little lower risk. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But did, did you, did someone in, did one of the, com- who designed the, the cartridge? Is that, did you bring in someone from outside or is that a company, inside company thing? So we did it inside in Germany. Mm-hmm. And now the way that it works is we have an industrial and design and mechanical engineering R&D team um, in both the Germany and the U.S. Mm-hmm. There are people on the team who think about sort of the future. Like what is the Harry's cartridge going to look like in five years, even further out? You wonder how our shaving behavior is changing. What can we do to improve it both aesthetically and functionally? And then, um, you know, we sort of take those designs and slowly drive them through our production process and then ultimately launch them. Um, and so, you know, the products that we As you dive into the shaving R and D, like ten years from now, is do you see like a step change in shaving technology? Or is it always going to be? I mean, if you use a, a razor, so to speak, is it always going to be you know blades and a cartridge, or is it going to be some sort of like 
you know, iPhone jump in, yeah. in shaving? Laser beams I, or... Uh, I think that's a really good question. I, I don't think we have a perfect answer here. Um, I think that razors today themselves are really good. There's clearly opportunity to continue to improve them, but I'm, but I'm not sure there's meaningful step function changes vis-a-vis sort of the current shaving systems. There's improvements to be made, but they're moderate and they take time. I think there's a, there's another question is like, is there other, are there other things out there Mm -hmm. that are truly differential forms of using products to remove hair, which is a fascinating question and one that we're validating and thinking about. Um, but I think the, that only time will tell. I remember reading a few years ago that the, the trend that beards are in was hurting (laughs) shaving. cells. are beards still in or people shaving again? Yeah, I think, you know, People are people have always been shaving and will always continue to shave. I think if you look at facial hair trends over decades and centuries, they come in and out and in and out and in and out. Oh, and yeah. so that's, that's the fun of it. Yeah, exactly. So I imagine they they will continue to. I think for us, you know, there's no vendetta that we have for shaving. If people look good in a beard, they should rock a beard. If they don't want to shave every day, they shouldn't shave every day. No. What we're trying to do is figure out how often people do shave and what they want to use our products for. And then give them the products they need at the right times. Um, and so that's been an important sort of part of our our history. If we we always have guys who, who will use Harry's for a long time and then stop. And we ask why. And they're like, well, I just had to grow a beard. It's like, awesome. I hope yeah. you look great in that beard. You know, <laughs> and we try to let you pause your subscription. If you ever take it off, we're here for you. If you want to buy some products in the meantime to take care of it, you know, the edges and stuff, we got you. Um and then we've got guys who have shaved their beard for the first time in, you know, whatever, five years and are now religious Harry's customers. And that's great, too. And so I think it's we want to be there for guys when they want us. And taking a quick break to say these days, business can be done from anywhere in the palm of your hand and out the source. However, you move your business forward with Business Platinum. It's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express. Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. Or go to podcastone.com slash mysurvey. It only takes a few minutes, and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash mysurvey. Or click on the survey banner on podcast one.com Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right too with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19 ounce bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for ten dollars. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just ten dollars. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. Now, before Harry's, you were obviously one of the co-founders of Warby Parker, the eyewear brand, which also took on a giant that yep. is Luxottica, which makes a huge amount of people's glasses and sunglasses, whether you know it or not. Yep. Same kind of thing. What ex- from what from your Warby experience um, yep. did you bring to Harry's, or was it was it vastly different, or was it kind of a um, you know rinse and repeat situation? Yeah, I think um, both Warby Parker and Harry started from like a fundamental pain point that we felt. Uh, when I was when we started Warby Parker, we were in school. And I had a pair of five hundred dollar glasses. 
my prescription had changed multiple times. I hadn't changed my glasses. I think they were like being held together by a piece of duct tape yeah. and they were so expensive. I was like, I'm a student. I can't, I can't want to pay for new glasses. And man, I'd actually like a pair of glasses that I, that I felt said something about me that was positive. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't have that. Uh, and so I felt like there was an opportunity to create that. And with Harry, as we talked about, the fact that there was just opportunity we felt to create better products, value, experience around shaving. I think the things that I would say we carried forward in both places is I think that brands, products matter a lot. And I think that people really care about attention to detail. Um, that, you know, you can't just sort of, there's this whole idea in technology about iterating quickly, getting, getting something out and kind of going. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that that works in the context of building and launching brands. You only have one chance to get it right for people. And you have to think through all of the different permutations and manipulations of how the product come together and make sure that what people get is delightful. Yeah. Um, and that takes time and real investment. And I think both of those things have rung true at Harry's Warby Parker. I think the next thing that I learned at Warby Parker that we've tried to bring to Harry's is that there's so much power in direct rela- relationships and connections with customers. I mean, when we started Warby Parker, we were still in school. We launched the company. It blew away our expectations. We were massively underprepared to meet the demand that we saw, and we were screwing up everywhere. Um, but what we did as co-founders was take it on ourselves to make sure that we made people who we screwed up for happy, that we did right by them. We called them personally. Yeah, so how do you make them happy? We called them personally. We yeah. apologized. We told them what was going on in our business. We gave them the context. We offered them free products. We told them we were going to sort of, whatever we did that we screwed up, we were going to fix. Yeah. And people, I think, really appreciated that personal, honest touch. They they were like, look, I get it. Like, oh, man, I can imagine being in your shoes. You probably haven't slept in three days. We're like, nope, we haven't. <laughs> but we're still here on the phone with you trying to make this better because you're really important to us. And I think that feeling still exists at Warby Parker today. We go out of our way all the time to do right for our customers. And I want the same thing at Harry's. The interesting thing about Harry's mm-hmm. is that when we start, launched Harry's, we didn't get a lot of calls from people. It was pretty easy. Shaving was pretty straightforward. People understood our products. They worked. People were happy. Whereas at Warby Parker, there's lots of sort of questions people have about their prescriptions and what mm-hmm. types of glasses be right for them. Also, you know, yeah, shaving is it's very binary. It's either it works or it doesn't. Yeah. And it's something you do privately opposed to glasses, yep. which you... More public. Public, yeah. Clearly. So what we decided to do with Harry's was actually proactively reach out to people. So now, because I really, really, really wanted that connection. And so now we, every customer that orders from us, we proactively email from someone on our team. We say, hey, we're here for you. We mm-hmm. want you to have a great experience. Um, 50% of people open those emails. 10% of people respond to them. When they mm-hmm. respond, we respond back. Um, and we start to develop real relationships with people. We stop becoming this sort of faceless company that's just selling them a product and become a group of people who are actually here for them in whatever capacity they need. Mm-hmm. Um, any any suggestions or lessons you've received from your customers that you've put into the product or put into your uh, your operation? Yeah, so um, a few that are that are really interesting. Uh, I'll tell you two stories. The first is uh, early on, um, our razor handle and our cartridge connected and they held firm, but there wasn't this audible click that happened. Mm-hmm. And what we heard from our customers, like I really like that click. <laughs> and one of our customers actually took our razor handle into his garage lathed out a little part of our handle to create like a little ridge and then fi- figured out how to click it into the cartridge. I was like, guys, I think I might've figured this out for you. That's a super fan. Yeah. And we're like, awesome. He sent us the handle. 
we then looked at it, made some modifications to what he had done, and then essentially that became one of our part of our handle design. Is he running your R- is he running an R and D team now? <laughs> he and Andy, I think, still talk. I mean, is he um, some razor savant? It's amazing. He's just a customer who cared enough to go to his garage and, and try to help us figure it out, and we wow. really appreciated that. Another thing we heard is when we um, when we send people razors, um, we put a safety cap, a little plastic safety cap over the blade, so that it's not damaged in transit while we send it to people. And um, what we started having was people calling us, at, you know, a couple of weeks after they buy from us, like that little plastic cap. Can you like send me one more of those? Can I buy one of those? Like what? It's like a little plastic safety cap. It's supposed to be thrown away. Like mm-hmm. yeah, but when I travel, I like to keep it. Stuff. Like wow, like interesting. Yeah, we can try, try to figure that out. And so, as opposed to just doing a safety cap, we did them one better. We made a travel blade cover. So it's a cover that sits over the whole blade cartridge. That when you travel, you just pop it on and you can go anywhere with it. I have one of those. I'm, I'm a I'm a big fan. Big That's fan. awesome. And I think people really responded well to it. And so we try to sort of learn from what our customers want and then delight them with. You know, you can only take so much input from people and then you kind of have to have a vision for what you want to do. And so the problem was I want something to put over my blade cover. Great. The solution is we'll make you not just the safety blade cover, but something that's better, better designed. Yeah, the other ways I've, I've like, multiple times have reached into my dop kit and gotten cut. cut right. And it's not one slice. It's like four slices in a row, four perfect little slices. Um, so yeah. that's, that's a, it's, it's very funny that you, a little piece of plastic is, you know, pivoted to this. Yeah. You know, Harry's has a very singular mission you're making basically you know there's multiple handles but they're colors you know you make the blade is yep. very important and yep. you know very you know some interesting lotions but it's, it's yep. almost like apple in the sense you have very you concentrate on very few products like yep. do you get sick of of razors and shaving all day long i remember i did this right in the store with you guys it yeah. was great spent two weeks in the yeah. razor world learned a lot but i was done with my razors <laughs> you've basically spent four years in this rabbit hole of of men's grooming yeah how do you kind of keep it uh exciting do you ever get sick of do you dream of razors <laughs> i mean i'm i'm pretty passionate i think about the impact that we're having we've sold over five million razors since we handles since we started harry's mm-hmm. um that's like enough to fill like a hundred football stadiums i mean more i don't know like it's it's crazy how much i think impact we've had how many mm. people have tried our products uh and um for us that's really exciting um and really fulfilling the decision to only have a couple products was intentional if you walk down the men's grooming aisle today you see a sea of stuff and no one understands what the difference is and so as opposed to having a cooling shave gel and a moisturizing shave gel and a scented shave gel and an unscented, we were just going to make one shave gel. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the best possible shave gel that it, that we can. It's going to moisturize. It's going to have a nice fragrance. It's going to have great ingredients. It's going to have no parabens or sulfates. We're not going to sort of need to make 20 different things. Mm-hmm. We're going to make one. And that's going to make it easier for guys to navigate. And so we've continued to build out our portfolio into grooming. We make a face wash, a daily face lotion as an example. And those products are doing great, but we only make one. And what it does is it lets us be incredibly obsessive about the one thing that we make Mm -hmm. so that when we launch it, it's hopefully really good. Um, And one of the things that's exciting for me is, you know, as we think about that, we're not going to go make a hundred products tomorrow, but we are taking time to be thoughtful about how we can deliver guys better solutions in adjacent categories Mm -hmm. today and do it in a simple and clear and straightforward way. And we've been talking a lot about 
guys and men's grooming yep. obviously is, is a huge other half of the market in women. And yep. again, you know, if you're making precision, the blade doesn't care what gender you are. Yep. Um, so in terms of is there going to be a push for women's marketing or women's products or are there a lot of women using, you know, Harry's razors as is like, cause it's, it has a male name, but um, I've, you know, talked to a lot of women on this and a lot of women use men's razors or yep. use their husbands, boyfriends, whatever razors. Yeah. What is the market like now with you guys? Yeah. So we see this crazy pattern at Harry's, which is really funny. A bunch of guys will order a shape set and then come back like a couple weeks later and order another shape set. And we're mm-hmm. like, what happened? Like, is this for travel? Is, did, was the first one not working? Like, no, no, no. My wife took my first razor and, you know, she took the blue one. I'm going to take the orange one. Yep. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's definitely demand from women for Harry's. And, um, we think, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20% of our customer base is, is female, uh, which is great. And we love women. We want to serve them however we can. We believe there's a really interesting opportunity for women in shaving. Um, if we were going to do it, we wouldn't just want to make a Harry's razor, you know, make it pink put it out there and say, you know, whatever it's called Harriet's. Yeah. I think we'd want to be more thoughtful about how the product's designed, how it works for women, what her needs are, how we can serve them differently in the same way that we approached Harry's. Um, it's something that we've thought a lot about. It's something that I think eventually we'll address. Um, we just want to do it right when we do. Yeah. Cause you mentioned the, um, you know, how the, 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 the male mass market was like a perfect male shaving and yeah. the female market's almost insultingly f- female too. It's like the, yeah. you know, the pink and the, yeah. like the, the songs. I don't know. It's, yeah. there's a great opportunity here. And I guess, would you approach it from a, uh, a functional standpoint first? Yeah, I think, I mean, the way I think about any brand proposition is that it has to resonate both functionally and emotionally. And so first and foremost, the product has to be awesome. Like you can't, build a brand that people are going to aspire to use if you don't have products they aspire to use. And that's not just, um, you know, taking a men's blade and putting it on top of a pink handle. Like it's gotta actually be, we have to be thoughtful about how women shave and what they need from a performance perspective to, to have a really great experience. And so that's something that we are thinking about. Um, and then I think the second piece is the brand I think has a stand for something that's different than what exists in the world. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. I think there's opportunity, um, to stand for something, um, potentially stand for something different in women's. Have you ever shaved in a pinch with a, with a woman's razor? (laughs) No, uh, I've tried women's razors, not in a pinch, actually just for interest. Mm -hmm. Um, because I have like, oh, I went for a razor and you use like the leg razor on your face. It's, yeah, it the only the only issue is that many women's razors have big luber pods and those are hard to get like under, you're hard to reach places for guys. So I've shaved like kind of my cheeks with a woman's razor just to get the experience, just to understand it. Um, <laughs> I've also, I've, I've also sort of shaved a little bit of my legs um, just because I want to understand the how, aesthetic. How did, how did that work out? Uh, I've <laughs> got pretty hairy legs. So um, it was, it, I, I put them to the test. And how many band-aids do you use? For that? <laughs> I haven't done it for a while. Um, it was just early on, early days at Harry's. I want to know how everything worked. Men's, women's, what all the day. So that was sort of a few bunch, a long time ago. We're doing our early product testing. I've, I've, uh, I learned my lesson then. And speaking of early, you know, we were chatting outside and, you know, you, you and Andy both have, um, young families. You have a young startup. Yep. How did you balance all that? Especially, I yeah. think, you know, you were, 
if I get my timeline right, you had a almost you had a, you know a, an infant almost when you decided to yeah. first of all make this leap and like yeah. hey we're gonna do this startup now yeah. and B it's you're not doing a nine to five job clearly um, you know I, I'm I'm interested in talking to a lot of you know as a young as a as a father of young children how do you balance or not balance the the kids and the family and all the your your two your two babies so yeah to speak. no I it's it's definitely a challenge um, and I I think a lot about you know trying to be a great dad. Um, first and foremost, I feel like that's my responsibility. And then obviously I've got responsibility to Harry's and our team. Um, I, I think about, uh, it as, um, for me, what's helpful about my job, um, is flexibility. I can, you know, carve out real time to spend with my family Mm -hmm. during the week and on the weekends. Um, because, um, I can structure my work schedule such that I can work in the times when I'm not with them. Uh, and I think that's been really helpful. Um, Andy and I both wrote pieces, uh, for father's day Mm -hmm. about this. And I think, you know, for, for me, it's about having a set of rituals that I just have with my family that I try to hold sacred. Um, I I live in the city. I live pretty close to our office. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to leave the office, get home, be with my kids before they go to bed, read them books, play them songs. And that's just a really special time that we have. Um, and on the weekends, you know, I really try to make an effort to be present with them. I still work um, mm-hmm. from time to time on the weekends, but I'll work when they're napping or I'll work late on Sunday night. Um, but when we have opportunity to have quality time together, um, I really try to sort of be present for that time. Mm-hmm. You put them to bed then kind of hop on emails for a while or even hop back to work kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, um, they go to bed uh, and then, um, I'll hang out with my wife for a while and then she goes to bed pretty early. I, I've always done a lot of work later. Uh, and I really value that time from, you know, I don't know, 10 PM to midnight Mm -hmm. to just think, be able to work, um, in quiet, uh, in our, in our apartment. And so, that's actually a really helpful and important time for me. And I don't feel like I'm sacrificing time with them because honestly they're sleeping. Um, I, I think, you know, having a young company and young family, I don't probably always sleep the best. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I feel um, like it's really important to be present um, for both and, and to try to manage that well, as well as I can. Now, I've heard people say that it's all about, quality not quantity so if, yeah. if you're with the family you're with the family I, i'm working on it too to kind of throw the throw the phone and the computer yeah. out of sight for a couple hours and yeah otherwise you get you know it's non-stop completely and one of the things that the hardest times i feel or i find is that second when i walk home i'm usually you know trying to get home to see them um on a call maybe like get to our apartment i'm still thinking about work and yeah. i have to transition super fast being with them and they're so delightful. I mean, they're like happy to see me after the day and they've had a cool day and we could talk about what they're doing, but I still sometimes find myself in sort of this in between zone and I'm, and I'm still candidly trying to figure out how I can like just make that switch as fast as possible. So I get as much great time with them as I can have. Hmm. That's amazing. And in terms of, I mean, it's, it's such a struggle. Everyone's been always talking about, you know, I feel like everyone always brings this up with, with female entrepreneurs, but I think yeah. you have to, you know, to be fair, it's important to talk about, you know, both yeah. sides because it's, it's a struggle on both. Yeah. And one thing we, groups. we believe that's true. And one thing that we've done at Harry's just recently is, um, we've introduced a paternity policy that's equivalent with our maternity policy. So, um, initially when we launched Harry's, our maternity policy was three months and our paternity policy was a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year we changed it to being four months for both. 
Um, we believe that people on our team should have a lot of time to be able to spend with their children um, and that dads have an equally important role to play there mm-hmm. um, as moms. Because it's you know, your company's focus right now on men's grooming, Is do you tilt more male to female in terms of your employees? Like what's, how's the team broke down? No, we're pretty equal. Um, mm-hmm. And we've tried to be thoughtful and conscious about um, diversity of um, – of sexes because we're so male focused Our mm-hmm. initially like our first six or seven employees were men and Andy and I got really worried like, Hey, you know, we could just build a very male dominated company. And I don't think that's actually good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've tried to be deliberate and thoughtful about having diversity. Um, I, I think we can be better uh, mm-hmm. always, but, um, but we're, we're closer. I think we might be a, like a little bit more male than female and some of our, our teams, the, those types of roles tend to skew more male in the world, and we're actually trying to figure out how to balance hmm. that better. But something that we, we pay attention to because um, we think it's really important to have a diverse workforce. How you how you do that in in, pract- in practice? Obviously, you want to hire the best person. How do you yep. kind of tweak the, the you know the, I guess the ratios? Yeah, I think it's a couple things. One, I think it's making sure that we're just considering people from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. We obviously do, and I think the second thing is to make sure that we're not being biased in our process in some ways, shape or form. We did this really interesting training as a company around unconscious biases and, you know, they, they seep in all throughout sort of interactions, starting with recruiting and then going through how people interact. Mm -hmm. There's all these studies about where where these biases sit. And so we're trying to deliberately do is to um, remove as many of these biases as possible so that everyone gets a truly fair shot. Well, this has been a great interview. I mean, thank you for coming on. I want to, you know, kind of end with, um, maybe a lesson in the sense that, you know, you've through Warby Parker and Harry's, you've targeted these big giant companies. What advice do you have for someone who's looking at an industry that they want to shake up an industry that they think has so many established players and it's, it's futile. What advice do you give? What's that first step? I wouldn't start with the industry. I'd start with yourself as a person or people in the world. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that there is an opportunity to do something that is different or better for somebody. If that is true, uh, then I think you can go validate that and um, that will probably create a really exciting business. But I think big companies, and I think entrepreneurs and VCs sometimes fall into the trap too, get so obsessed with the industry mm-hmm. and let's figure out how the industry is going to change and how you know we can continue to make money as a sort of big corporate machine and they lose track of people. And what I've, we didn't sort of sit around at Harry's Warby Parker and say, hey, like there's a big industry here we have to disrupt. We sat around and said, we personally feel like we are not satisfied consumers in this market. We feel like someone should be able to do something better for us. Why don't, why isn't that us? Really? Four four Wharton guys didn't think about disrupting an industry? Nope. No, I mean, Andy, my Mm co-founder, one of my Warby Parker founders, who you know, came to school and said, I think we should be able to sell glasses online. This doesn't, why, why? I've seen all these other things go online. Why not? And the first time I heard about it, I was in a computer lab um, after school and I had this experience. I had these glasses and I was like, this, there's a huge pain point here. Like I personally want something different or better here. And then we started understanding, well, why is that? Why do glasses have to cost $500? And mm-hmm. that's where the industry comes to play. Why do razors cost $4 each? You know, that, that's where it's sort of the industry dynamics come to play. That helps you understand the why. But first, I think you have to understand sort of how you fundamentally address a consumer in a different way. Um, or where the consumer pain point sits that you can solve. And that's, I think, what we've tried to do um, with this company. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jeff Rader, the professional pain point finder (laughs) and also founder and CEO, co-CEO and co-founder of uh, of Harry's. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Great to be here. That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. 
If you'd like to reach us, email us at interview at podcastone.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, humans, David Smalley here from the Dogma Debate Podcast right here on Podcast One, where we talk about all the things you're not supposed to discuss at work, religion, politics, abortion, racism, slavery, and that's only when we open the Bible. We discuss Islam, Islamophobia. What does that even mean? We chat with vegans, animal rights activists, and even visit factory farms to see it for ourselves. I invite people from multiple backgrounds to convert me into their worldview. But as long as they're okay with being respectfully challenged, you better bring your evidence. And I never lose sight of how both the left and the right are seeming to lose their minds. So basically, we're solving all the world's problems right here on Dogma Debate. And you've been missing it. Watch our 360 virtual reality videos on the Podcast One app and download Dogma Debate on iTunes, Stitcher, or PodcastOne.com. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.